The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is really about personal privacy. On this show, we talk about information privacy, we talk about all sorts of financial privacy, healthcare privacy, but it's really important to talk about personal privacy as well. And today we are so lucky we are speaking with retired Judge Martha Bellinger, who is the author of this wonderful book called From Robe to Robe, A Lesbian Spiritual Journey. And I had read an article in the Daily Journal that talked about this book, and I thought, what a brave woman to come out, and, and especially what she went through through her life, to be who she really is and to come out and be not only an attorney and a judge, but also she was and still is an ordained minister. So this, is, this was a wonderful book, and I thought we'd have a chance to talk with her, and she recently retired from the bench, so we're really lucky that we have the time to talk to her. Thank you so much, Martha, for joining us. Well, thank you, Mari, so much for having me. So tell us how this book came about. I know that it it had to be a a challenge for you to do this. Yes, uh, the project really had been in the making for uh, over 10 years. I realized in my 50s, I'm 61 now, that I had been given a very unusual journey through life. I first served as a mainline Protestant uh, ordained minister back east when women were not readily accepted as church pastors. So I first fought with the gender discrimination issue uh, because people thought the Bible said that women shouldn't be leaders in the church. After going through all that, I also faced the fact that I was a uh, in a church which uh, would likely never recognize the gay community as being within God's kingdom, and I had gone through the process of realizing I was a lesbian during the time I was studying for the ministry at Princeton and Boston University. And it was then I met my first partner, who was also in the ministry. We both remained in the closet for the period of time we were in the ministry and decided not to come out in the church uh, because we thought we would just be martyrs, and uh, were really I wasn't brave enough to do it at that time. We're talking again about the late 70s. So we moved to the West Coast together and studied um, the law. Uh, While I missed the ordained ministry in many ways, uh, I found myself soon helping children and families through the legal system and perhaps serving my fellow human beings in a more complete way than was possible even in the ordained ministry. 
I realized my move into judicial duties was my calling as well, and that I'd now been blessed with a stimulating and challenging career on the bench. But my spirituality remained an important part of my life, and I resented the religious right for trying to deprive the LGBT community of spirituality by contending we were immoral and in some minds deserving of death. I knew that the God I worshipped was about love, acceptance, and diversity, and creation contains a diverse population for a purpose, and as Lady Gaga has said, I was born this way. So in writing this book, I wanted to let the LGBT community know it was possible to be be spiritual and have a relationship with God, even if there were people out there who said uh, we didn't deserve to be a part of God's kingdom. I also wanted the straight religious community to understand that a literal interpretation of the Bible and God's supposed condemnation of homosexuality is the height of hypocrisy and a poor way to interpret the purpose of our community in the 21st century. Don't you think that uh, homophobia is about fear? Oh, yes, most definitely. I I do feel that homophobia is about fear, and uh, it's about ignorance of who we really are as a people. Um, I think that uh, homophobia also is a product sometimes for many people who are struggling with their own sexuality and they're not really secure about their own sexuality and may have doubts about their own sexuality and that frightens them because they have been programmed so long uh, in their particular world to look at uh, same-sex marriage and homosexuality as something that is uh, demonic and bad, and um, so they're very scared that this might be in their own lives. And and it's based on ignorance. People just don't really, um, maybe perhaps in their lives, get a chance to have a family member or a close friend or someone come out to them and realize that, uh, you know, gay people are no different than straight people. We're, we're very the same. We, we bleed the same. We pay taxes. We have families. Uh, we are in every occupation and profession, and we're, uh, by the large part, good citizens of our um, communities and country, and um, it's just ignorance of, of who we really are. We just become them or those people in their minds, uh, rather than human beings like everybody else with the same needs and desires and goals in life. And it's so sad because most people do want to have privacy in their own homes, and they want to have privacy in their relationships with their their loved ones and their significant others and their spouses. And uh, so it's just so ironic that they're willing to make a big deal about people who whose sexual orientation is different than their own. So, you know, we're sitting here on the campus of the University of California, Irvine, and I think younger people are more accepting than than the older generations. I know younger people are coming out earlier to their parents than, than you know, you didn't come out into how old were you? I was actually uh, 34 when I uh, came out. I knew I was a lesbian at 23, uh, but it, uh, because I was studying for the ministry and in the ministry for a while, um, I didn't actually come out to my family. I came out to other people, but I didn't come out to my family until I was 34 years old because my family was fundamentalist Christian and I was afraid of losing their love. Yes. And then there came a point in my life when I just said, well, Martha, you're 34 years old. Um, you know, you're going to have to risk this, whether they... Uh, completely reject you or not is something you're just going to have to deal with, but you cannot 
for the sake of your own soul and your um, integrity hide this any longer. So that was my story. Yeah, and and I have several friends who have, who came out also in their late thirties or forties to their parents, and um, and to their family and friends, and it it was so hard for them. I even have a client now who came out um, to his spouse after you know twenty five years of twenty eight years of marriage. So it's got to be uh, really tough, especially when you're a spiritual person, because you want to be congruent with your spirituality, which means to be truthful to yourself, and yet you're living a double life. How, yeah. how is that? I mean, that for, you know, I, I'm invading your privacy right now, but I think it's important for people to understand how what that dichotomy must be like. Oh, it's a, hero, it's a horrible place to be. I mean, when I was a minister, of course, an ordained minister back east in the United Methodist Church, I knew I was a lesbian, and I was able, uh, just by the type of personality I, I have and, and who I am, I was easily uh, passing as, you know, being part of the straight community, and I didn't lead anybody to conclude anything else. So, uh, and my partner and I were both ministers at the time. We were in parishes that were 70 miles apart, so we didn't live together, and it was easy to live a double life. But it just feels terrible. I mean, when you know you represent an institution that has gone on the record as saying that homosexuality is incompatible with Christian faith, uh, it just tears you apart to be a part of that organization. And you do feel, you know, you just do feel like a hypocrite. And as much pain as it may cause to come out eventually, especially to the people that you care about in your life, um, it is a tremendous tremendously freeing experience once it has been concluded. Um, my my uh, memory of the particular time I came out with to my family is still very strong in my mind. My father uh, and mother have been very um, religious people, uh, fundamentalist Christians their whole lives. My father's now deceased recently, but I was extremely close to both of them, and particularly uh, even more so in a way to my father. And when I came out to them, um, my father started, I was on the, in California, and he was back in New York, and we were on the telephone, and he started preaching to me all these verses in, from the Bible and so forth and how wrong it was. And finally I said to my father, well, you know, I know you feel this way, and I'm sorry you feel this way, but please don't preach to me because I've been to seminary and I know all the arguments you're throwing at me better than you do, and I hung up the phone. And it was the only time in my entire life, uh, before or after, that I ever hung up on my father. And um, my father was not, um, you know, a hard man, mean-spirited, or anything of that nature. And as time went on, I think he grew to respect me. He may not have completely accepted theologically the basis for my sexual orientation, but he became more tolerant, and and my mother became more tolerant, and uh, other members of my family began to see, you know, that um, I was a valuable human being, and perhaps there was another way to look at this whole situation of sexual orientation. And and I got a kick out of, in your book, From Robe to Robe, A Lesbian Spiritual Journey, and I just want to say this again, it's Martha Bellinger. Is it Bellinger? Bellinger. Bellinger, sorry. Mm-hmm. Martha Bellinger. Um, you have right in the very beginning, you, you quote scripture, which I love, 
<laughs> and um, and I thought that was interesting to to really sh- quote the scripture that 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 really says that you know God loves everyone. Yes, there's been so much focus on uh, the one verse in the Bible, Leviticus twenty thirteen, which is the one that condemns one man sleeping with another and even calls for those persons to be put to death. But when you really analyze all the scripture in the Bible. Uh, it's just one verse, and it was part of a what was called a holiness code written for the early Jewish community, which was trying to procreate and survive in a very hostile world. And we are talking about a code which existed thousands of years before Jesus was even born. And in this same section of the Bible, this Leviticus um, book of the Bible tells parents to put their to death their children who talk back to them, to stone to death people who blaspheme God, right? and even informs the Jewish community on how to continue slavery, which is in Leviticus 25, 44 through 46, by the buying and selling of slaves and treating them as your property. Well, certainly 200 years later, we look at slavery as a sin, and uh, we don't condone that in any way, even though the Bible was used to condone slavery 200 years ago. And we don't put children to death for talking back to their parents. Right. And we believe a freedom of religion in this world, and we don't uh, put to death people who blaspheme God. People have the right not to believe in God if they wish, and I truly support that. Um, So when we look at this world of 7 billion people and Leviticus 2013, which was really uh, meant, I think, to... Uh, promote the procreation of the of the Jewish race at that time, and we have seven billion people on this earth. We're overcrowded as it is. <laughs> I don't yeah, think really. procreation is the only issue here. And the overwhelming message of the Bible, as you see in the Bible verses listed on the first page of my right, book, right. it is one of uh, doing justice and being kind and helping your fellow human beings and knowing that you're loved. Yes. And, and love is the most important thing throughout the Bible anyway. So. Definitely, yes, that's the whole thing. <laughs> love one another. It yes. doesn't say only love some people. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes, and don't judge other people. You exactly. know, get the beam in your own eye before you're examining the speck in others. But that seems to be totally forgotten by many components of the religious right. I know the, the judgmental issue. They just feel very free to judge us and condemn us. And I'm convinced that's not what... The God um, that's in my heart and that I worship wants people to do exactly. So right now, are you able? To, are you able to go to the Methodist Church, or are you involved? No, in I'm the not. Church? I'm not affiliated with the Methodist Church any longer, simply because they continue to have in what's called their Book of Discipline, which is their um, rules and principles and a statement of their creed. Uh, the phrase that homosexuality is inconsistent with. Um, God and inconsistent with um, Christianity. And as long as that remains in that uh, book of uh, polity and policy by the United Methodist Church, you know, I just feel that I cannot worship there. I do belong to the United Church of Christ in Claremont. Uh, The United Church of Christ uh, was the first Protestant denomination to ordain an openly gay man in 1975. That was the year I graduated from seminary. So they've been an open and accepting community for some time. And in fact, the church I attend in Claremont, I helped found a um, fellowship for lesbian and gay people um, over 20 years ago. So, you know, I do go there, but I have to say that, you know, my I, I've long since really given up on organized religion 
in terms of turning this around for the LGBT community. And I think there's a big difference between being religious and being spiritual. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think people can have a personal relationship, and again, talk about privacy, a private relationship with God that is not necessarily expressed in an open environment of a fellowship or a religious organization. And um, so I want, you know, LGBT community people to know that at least the God that I know and, and, and the God that... Um, created this universe, created them to be just the way they are, and um, they should explore and explore their own spirituality and not be turned off what the um, organized branch of religion has done to condemn us. Right. There are there are other um, churches that I have seen that have really welcomed everyone, everyone, uh-huh. no matter what. Like the Unity Church, uh-huh. often is very open yeah. uh, and receptive. Yes. And also the Church of Religious Science, which now they call In Spirit. Uh-huh. They are also very welcoming of people of all sexual orientation. It doesn't matter what religion you come from or anything. They're, they're very open and receptive, which I think is really beautiful. So I think we're seeing a change and an involvement in thinking at least what I see, at least in California, at least in Southern California, and maybe maybe we're different than the rest of the nation. But I, I do think when we look at New York has passed laws for marriage and Massachusetts for gay people. So, yes. you know, I think that people are starting to understand it's just like when people could not marry a person of a different race. Uh-huh. And that wasn't so long ago. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, and I'm so proud of, I, I'm a native of New York, upstate New York, so I was so proud when my um, home state, the Empire State, as it's euphemistically called, uh, passed the same-sex marriage um, measure. Um, and, you know, New York is not a whole lot different from California, so I was kind of worried when it was coming up for a vote whether it would succeed or not because you have your very um, conservative factions yeah, uh, and largely Republican factions in upstate New York, and right. you have the city, which tends to be very liberal, and sometimes they kind of cancel each other out, you know, right, right. in voting in the legislature. So um, I think that the smart thing that they did in New York is that they put right within the bill itself a provision that made it very clear that no religious organization would be forced in any way to marry uh, same-sex couples. Right. And, uh, you know, of course, we. Be- I believe that, too. I mean, right. I may uh, have a different theology about uh, sexual orientation than those people who condemn us, but I don't think under the separation of church and state that any minister or person should be forced into marrying people uh, when their church is opposed to those types of relationships. And that was one of the big things that came up under Prop 8 in California. And yes. Everybody kept emphasizing this. Oh, pastors will be forced to marry, you know, gay people. Well, of course they won't. You know, no. they can't under right. our Constitution. But that's kind of a red herring, you know, that uh, has been thrown out there. So um, I'm very proud of New York, and I do believe there is a change afoot, and uh, there is more understanding. We still have a long ways to go. And uh, I hope that at some point in time we're going to really reach uh, a place where we are judged, as Martin Luther King Jr. said, on the basis of our character and not our sexual orientation. Exactly. (laughs) And that's what it should be. And um, 
hopefully we will get there. But the reality of it is there's a lot of people um, in my parents' generation, which, of course, are now dying off, uh, who are going to need to exit the world. And uh, some people in the baby boom generation, of which I'm a part, uh, who are also very anti-LGBT uh, community, um, they're going to need to disappear probably uh, by natural causes <laughs> through death and attrition before um, we get completely accepted equally as everybody else. I recognize that young people are in a very, very different place uh, with this issue than older generations, and it makes my heart feel very good that um, they're more accepting and more tolerant and they don't see the big problem. Well, Martha, you're part of that courageous pioneer, so to speak, to come out and to write your book from, you know, from robe to robe, a lesbian's spiritual journey, because, you know, the fact that you would write this book really helps so many other people to be able to come out and maybe give this book to their parents or give this book to, to someone so that they understand what's going on with them. So I honor you for doing that because I'm sure, you know, obviously it must have taken, like you said, it was in your heart and in your head for a long time before you actually sat down and wrote it. Yes, and part of it too has to do with the constraints that judges have upon, you know, publishing. Right. Uh, we're not supposed to use our position in any way um, to promote, you know, our personal agenda. So, um on my website, www.tworobes.com, um, and it's in, a, in the process of being reconstructed and done, but you can still access uh, information about the book through that website. I had to be very, very careful to make sure that um, I was not promoting um, myself through my judicial t- title. Now that I'm retired, I, I feel that I have more freedom to do that. But, um, yeah, it was on my heart to write this for a long time. I knew that, you know, there could be some consequences to it. There are people out there that are very hateful and mean-spirited. But I think the payback um, came uh, about a year ago when the book first came out, and I have um, a grandniece who um, recently came out to me. And uh, she wrote me a letter saying, I don't know if you understand how much it means to me that um, you have lived this honorable life, that you had a partner, and that you continued to try to relate to the family, and that you were able to have a good life. It gives me courage um, to be who I am. And so my own niece is saying that to me, and and that in and of itself, if I didn't sell one more book, that right. would have been worth it just in itself. Right. You paved the way. So That's you have correct. no idea how many people you're going to change their lives. I hope so. Oh, I know. So I think it's wonderful. Let's talk about, like you, you said you came out when you were in, you know, through the seminary. What about when you were in law school and became a lawyer? What kind of experiences did you have with regard to discrimination? Well, um, I really didn't have a great deal of um, discrimination, uh, feel, felt discrimination during law school. Uh, again, my partner and I, um, we didn't keep our relationship ne- necessarily quiet, but we didn't walk around with signs saying, I am a lesbian either. Right, so, right, right. Um, and again, it was California. It was more liberal, um, so that was not a bad experience. Um, 
I didn't overemphasize and I didn't really come out while I, I got appointed to the Los Angeles uh, District Attorney's Office in 1984, and um, that was the same year that I came out to my family. And I didn't overemphasize the fact that I was a lesbian, but again, I did not hide, uh, hide my partnership with my current partner, Pam, and people, my best friends in the, the office knew that I was gay. Uh, the biggest uh, struggle for me, I think, was when I went on the bench, I had worries about um, being accepted, and I did have the experiences I bring up in my book of coming on the bench, elected as a Superior Court Commissioner by the judges in L.A. County, and languishing for about 14 years in that uh, subordinate judicial role while uh, one Republican governor after another refused to appoint me. Right, to uh, elevate you, right. Yeah, they, and it wasn't until Schwarzenegger uh, came into office and whatever else anybody might say about him, when it came to judicial appointments, he truly did not uh, care, and it was not important to him whether or not your sexual orientation was was lesbian or gay. It, did, it just didn't come into the um, equation. that He looked to, you know, what had you accomplished in your uh, legal career and how likely were you to be a good bench officer, a good judge that he could look back on in years ahead and be proud that he um, appointed them. So uh, in that respect, you know, I, I think I really was in a subordinate judicial role for a lot longer than other people would have been in that role. I had a fairly distinguished career as a deputy district attorney, including being in the appellate division and even taking a case to the United States Supreme Court. And yet, uh, despite all of that and my background and noting it on my judicial applications to McMajin and Wilson, um, it just, you know, I know that based upon some of my uh, gay male friends' experiences being interviewed during that period of time up in Sacramento, that once the whole issue of them being gay came out, then that was the end of it, and they weren't right. appointed. Right. So right. there's no doubt that... Um, I doubt, there's no doubt that it just was not politically correct or comfortable for those governors to appoint an openly gay or lesbian person. Um, I have good hopes that um, Governor Brown will continue uh, the course that Governor Schwarzenegger set in not looking at that as an issue that would block an appointment. And indeed, uh, before Wilson and Duke Majin, there was Governor Brown before, and right. he this was is our his second time around. To openly appoint um, gay and lesbian people back in the seventies. So uh, things are changing, and and I'm hoping that things will get will get much better for the younger generations. Well, we are just about out of time, but I did want to ask you now that you are retired from the bench and you you have your first book out. Uh, what are your future plans? Well, I'm going to keep continuing to promote my book, which I feel is very important. And my website is under um, work, uh, and is, uh, I hope to make that an active website where people can actually see me and hear a message from me every now and then. And then if I have time left over, I'm going to specialize in mediation, particularly for gay and lesbian couples. Because mm-hmm. even if you're a domestic partner in California, you have to, in order to end your relationship, file a petition for divorce, as you know, and yes. 
going into the public courtrooms and doing that is very hard for some people, particularly of my generation, and they'd like more privacy and dignity and compassion in ending their relationships, and I hope I can do that for them. Yes, and mediation is the way to go. I've been doing it for 26 years, and I can really relate, and I have had um, gay and lesbian people that have come to me, and it's always such a pleasure to help them, to give them that dignity and privacy. So we will send people to tworobes.com. Yeah, and that's T-W-O-R-O-B-E-S, all one word in small caps. And Martha Bellinger, we are so thrilled that you're doing all this great work, and we will tell people to take a look at From Robe to Robe, and we thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Mari. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Oh, and I hope we get to meet someday. I hope so, too. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. We will talk to you soon. I'm looking, I'll be watching for the next book. Okay. All right, Mari. Thank you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org and the net. I'm Mari Frank, the host of Privacy Piracy. So visit our website at KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy and write us emails about what's important to you about privacy in the information age. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. 